Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Information Crossroads podcast. I'm Jonathan Carmody, Latin American editor here in New York City, and I'm joined today by Eduardo de la Peña from Deloitte, Mexico. Hi, Eduardo. Hi, Jonathan. Good to have you. Eduardo is an expert in infrastructure and PPP concessions, been working for many years in the sector in Mexico and across Latin America. And today I'm going to talk to Eduardo about the state of infrastructure in Mexico as it stands and some of the opportunities that we're seeing there, as well as the prospects for Mexican companies to do business internationally as well, outside of the country. Eduardo, um, in your work in, in Mexico, as I said, you've seen many PPP contracts, many concessions. What's the state of the market like in Mexico at the moment for investors that are looking for opportunities in the infrastructure and energy spaces? I would love to say that the market in Mexico right now is more dynamic, but the truth is, uh, truth be told, is that we are still lacking a lot of, of, of projects and planifications. Uh, the, uh, the, the current government has focused a lot of, of, on mega projects, right? They are boosting, for example, the Mayan train in the south, the Istmo Corridor, the Refineria de Dos Bocas, and all the refinery, and the new airport, right? So they have this strategy to focus only on, on, on those mega projects. Um, this has been a problem to the infrastructure industry in Mexico because the majority of the companies and, uh, on, the, on this industry, they attack uh, smaller or medium-sized projects, right? So what we what is going on right now in Mexico is that, of course, we got those, those mega projects that I believe they are really interesting, especially the Trend Mayan. It has the opportunity to transform the this, the south the region of, of the southern Mexico, but we need more than that, right? Uh, there was an announcement I know that most of, of you should know a couple of months ago about a private investment plan for infrastructure. And, and I always say this, and, and I'm saying it in a, in a really constructive way, that it's not a plan, right? It's more like a list of, of projects, more than a plan, and we can elaborate a little bit more on that. So uh, right now, what, what is going on in Mexico is that we need more projects. Uh, the industry is, is, is really low. But on the other hand, you have a lot of capabilities in, in, in companies, right? You got a lot of, of construction companies, you got engineering companies, consulting services. You got a, a really robust industry around infrastructure that right now is, is desperate to look for opportunities. And the other situation in Mexico is that uh, due to the, to the political arrangement that we have, uh, as you should know, we have uh, federal states. So we had some states that, that they have, a, say, I, I mean, their own budget and they can promote uh, their own projects. But you got like smaller states that, that they cannot promote infrastructure investment without the support or the budget from the federal government. So we are seeing also some movement in some states like Guanajuato. Guanajuato has been historically a, a, a really nice state to, to attract investment. Uh, Nuevo León could be another interesting one. However, right now they're going to be in the middle of, of, of a political change, right? So uh, the current uh, scenario is that we need more projects. We have only mega projects and the 
the industry is getting a little bit nervous about what is going to happen in the next in the next years. And in terms of the plan, as you said, I think when I saw the infrastructure investment plan from AMLO that was announced last October, and then the second installment of that plan, which came out around November, you know, he was talking about many billions of dollars worth of investment, I think around 300 billion pesos in, in the original investment plan in October for around 39 projects. But as you said, some of those projects really had already been awarded to companies. Some of those projects were perhaps not necessarily the kind of PPPs or concessions that we've been expecting or, or hoping for, perhaps, in the infrastructure community. With that in mind, do you think that there are more projects to come from the federal government? Or do you think this is a this is really a list of what they've got and what they're prepared to tender in the coming years? I'm an optimistic by nature, right? So, and I'm working with, with, with the government in some projects such as the Maya train. So I believe that there, there will be more projects to come. Um, but one point that I wanted to make about that, the, the plan or the list that you mentioned is that, of, cor- of course, when you look at the numbers, you say, well, there are like, a, I don't know, more than 100 projects, uh, several uh, million dollars in, in investment. But we need to remind uh, two things. One is that the size of, of Mexico, of the economy of Mexico, and more or less, we should be spending around 5% of our uh, GDP on infrastructure just to sustain a, a healthy growth. Uh, but historically, that percentage has never been more than 3%. Uh, Peña Nieto wanted to take it to 4%. So the, the, the number as a whole may sound uh, relevant, and I'm not saying it's not, but if you compare it as a percentage of the GDP and the target to, to be around 5%, uh, there is a huge gap to, to, to cover, right? And the other point that you need to analyze, and I have said this to, to a lot of colleagues, is like you need to look into detail uh, how many of those projects are ready to be built in, I would say, one year or two years. Some of them are, but some others are just in an initial state of analysis, right? And every project will take at least one year or year and a half or two just to make the, the feasibility analysis. Then you have to do the engineering, the tender process, and then you have to start the construction, right? So th- th- that's, the, that's the second level of analysis that, that you should do. In my personal opinion, the infrastructure is a path for economic recovery, right? So we are coming out from a, well, we're, we're still crossing a, a COVID crisis, right? But in order to, to recover faster, we need to invest in, in infrastructure. It is proven that for every peso, dollar, or whatever that you invest in infrastructure, in the medium term, you are going to have at least four times that in, in, in investment returns, right? So what I think it could happen, and I'm, and I'm hoping, Thing for that scenario is that uh, the current government is going to realize that they need to boost economic growth. They are going to realize that the federal budget is not enough to to make all of the projects by themselves or, or by public works. Right? You need you need to to attract the, the the private sector, the investment of the private sector, and of course there is going to be a political uh, aspect to it. Uh, so, the, so they will need to prove that they are investing, that they are doing uh, projects, that they are generating jobs. So I expect with all of these elements, 
uh, in the in the next six months or, or, or one year, there are going to be some new projects launched by the, by the federal government, especially in the, around the mega projects could be like the Ismo region. But also there has been a lot of, of, of ongoing conversations with several stakeholders from CFE to try to, 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 re, to reboost or, or to launch again, for example, the transmission lines, that, that will be a huge investment. And also they want to promote renewable energies, right? And, and this is kind of surprising because when you compare that initiative with the, with, with the current uh, political uh, agenda and the reformations to the law, it may sound that it doesn't make any logic, but the logic behind it is that CFE may not be against renewable energies as far or as long as they have a relevant part of it. And you can take the example of the of the Central de Abastos a project that is going to be launching the cent- in Mexico City, which is going to be one of the largest uh, uh, solar parks in in, in in an urban area. It's going to be around 40 or 50 megawatts, and and the CFE is leading uh, a great part of that initiative, right? Okay, so we could see more promotion of renewable energy through the CFE and through their contracting mechanisms. Okay, you know, that's been a, a really controversial topic in Mexico for a long time, the, the generation market, uh, especially with a lot of the auctions that happened. They awarded a lot of long-term contracts with the CFE and a lot of the, you know, the renewable certificates that they awarded at the time as well. A lot of those projects and the owners of the projects in particular got very worried by some of the movements that the Mexican government made to try and change the rules. Do you think that Mexico, now that we've had two, almost three years of AMLO's governance, do you think Mexico is showing signs that it's going to find a balance at some point? Or are there still more challenges that the government seeks to make towards private investors in, in infrastructure and especially energy projects? It's a complicated question, right? Because on one hand, uh, the, what has been proved in these two years is that once the federal government makes a decision, it's really hard to, to, to make a turn back, right? You, we can start with the cancellation of the, of the airport, right? There was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of, 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 of conversations with private companies for the cancellation. And at the end, they, they took the decision to cancel it and, and to take the, the, the hit, right? They were going to pay the investors, but we are not building the, the project. So within the energy sector, maybe what we can expect is something similar, right? That the decisions that have been made or, 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 the, or, or, or the changes that, that the Mexican government and, and CFE are pushing, they are going to remain that way. However, I believe they will get to a certain level of, 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 of arrangement or, or commitment or negotiation with private companies. Uh, to avoid litigations. The Mexican government, I, I believe they don't want litigations. They have a specific point of view on how things should work, and they are trying to work on that. Uh, and, and the other point is that I think there is a misunderstanding, and this is a dangerous uh, space in which you start to, to mix the political reasons with the technical reasons, right? So the, the, the CFE and the Mexican government, they usually say that the renewable energies, for example, they produce a lot of intermittency and there is not a secure way to, to, to provide electricity, right? 
of course, intermittency it's a problem, uh, uh, but but there are like organizational schemes and 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 and, and scenarios in which you can uh, have a, a really balance between renewable energies and other sources of of of, of electricity, right? But just to, just to say that that because of, due to the intermittency, we should not invest in renewables. I, I believe that is more like a a misunderstanding, right? And the other thing is that maybe the the in my perception, uh, what the Mexican government is is questioning right now is how those contracts were granted and if they were on on the best conditions for the state, right? So previous government wanted to boost private investment and, and this government want to have a strong CFE. Uh, those are like two antagonic point of view, maybe in, in some in some spaces. But I believe we we need to to get to a, a middle point because the, the CFE cannot do the investments they need. They will for sure use the private sector, even if it's for concessions, for PPPs, even if it's for generation, or even if if it's just for for financing purposes. They 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 cannot do all the investments they need by themselves, right? So I think this is just a, a a phase, but I believe we should we should get to a to a middle point in which the CFE will get a little bit stronger as they as they want to, maybe take a more leading uh, role in new projects, but the private sector will still be considered in, in those investments. Okay. And in terms of the construction companies, again, one of the topics that I wanted to discuss with you today was the possibility that Mexican companies will be forced to go abroad to try and find opportunities in, in other jurisdictions. In the past, we've seen companies like Marnos that have tried to do highway PPPs in places like Guatemala, south of Mexico. Even further south, going down to Colombia, we've seen people like HIA doing hospitals in Chile uh, and showing interest in other countries in the region like Colombia as well. How have you seen the experience of Mexican companies doing business abroad in the past? And, and what kind of prospects do you think there are for them to go and do business in other countries in Latin America today? I mean, I, I, I truly believe that we, we, we should and, and uh, go to, the Mexican companies should go to, to other geographies in Latin America, of course. Uh, and I think we are. Uh, I may say that we are even late to it, right? Because you only, uh, as you mentioned Marnos, of course, you mentioned Hia, Ica had some experiences, but but you can count them with with the with the fingers of of one hand. But the size of the of the companies, so the infrastructure and engineering companies that we have in Mexico, it's really relevant. So I always make the comparison with the Spanish companies, right? So the Spanish companies. Uh, took the decision 20 years, some of them 30 years ago, to go outside from Spain in, to explore other geographies, and, and one of the of the of the most obvious one was Latin America, right? Because we share the language. Uh, I, I would even say that we share some some cultural issues, of course. So so they tried to do it, uh, and they succeed. They succeed, and right now they are like some of the leaders uh, leading infrastructure companies in Latin America. They have projects all across all over the, con the the continent. Yeah, but what is going on right now is that even the Spanish companies, they, 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 they perceive that the political risk right now in Latin America, eh, with a lot of governments probably going to, to, the, to the left side eh, of the spectrum, eh, 
they, they believe that maybe the, the risk is too much. The rates of return on, on the projects, because we, we have more competition, have been driven down. So they are, the Spanish companies are looking for new geographies, right? Like Southeast Asia, uh, Africa, and, 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 you know, even the United States. The uh, United States has a really aggressive plan, as you know, for re economic recovery based on infrastructure. And I have been having conversations with a lot of Spanish firms that they say, like, we need to go to the United States. So th that space that the, that the Spanish firms uh, are going to uh, leave on, on, on Latin America, I think that they, 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 I think they should be filled by Mexican companies. Well, you get Mexican companies, you get Colombian companies, but but uh, a little bit less in number, and even Peruvian companies. And another relevant player that that is has been really patient in the region and is starting to 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 see some results are the Chinese companies, right? So I see a, a possible scenario in which uh, some Mexican companies. I hope a lot of them, they will perceive that the, the market in Mexico is not as big as they need, and they should go and, and, and look for other opportunities in Latin America, right? The, the infrastructure industry right now is a global industry. We need, we need to, to, to change the perspective that, that of local construction. That, that, of course, is useful. But, but right now, if you want to play on, on the infrastructure scenario, you need to, to look for global opportunities or at least regional opportunities. And obviously the, the best way to find those opportunities is by reading information and, and seeing our stories and using our database. But beyond that, how can Mexican companies really best approach uh, doing business in a place like Colombia? Colombia has an enormous program of infrastructure opportunities in, coming up in the next few years. The fifth generation 5G program is projecting around $6 billion worth of investments in highways, airports, railways, and, and waterways. For Mexican companies to go and do business there, Eduardo, what do they need to be considering? It can be very expensive to, to open a, a new office in a new company, hire local staff, get local advisors. What do you think is the, the best way that they can approach these markets and, and find a way in? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't especially agree that it, if it, it is expensive to, expensive to open a new office because on the other hand, you need to compare what is more expensive, right? To, to try to, to open an office and explore opportunities or, or just to remain with that asset and, and, and capital in, in your geography without projects, right? So so I think it worth the, the shot. Uh, I think in infrastructure, as in any business, you got two, two things. You got the know-how, but sometimes the, the most important thing is the know-who, right? So, of course, you need to understand the regulation of the country. One good thing is that at the end, uh, the regulations in Colombia or, or in Ecuador or in Peru they had certain similarities to the to the to the Mexican regulation. The PPP schemes are similar. Of course, they got their their own local requirements, but but it's not as as going to China. You know, it's it's something really similar. So, understanding the local framework, it's it's really important. The legal framework. Sorry. The other important thing is to understand the country. Right. What are the institutions that that do the planning? That do the tenders? Uh, what what has been said about about foreign investment? Uh, you need to, of course, absorb all, all of the information that you can, and of course, uh, at some point, you need 
to deploy uh, some resources. In some companies, uh, the ones that you mentioned, for example, they started with assigning one person or, or maybe a couple of, or a small team to do a specific travels, to talk with government officials, to talk with a foreign investment agencies like ProColombia, et cetera, to have conversations with local construction companies. And starting from that, then they decide to do the next step, right? We are in an industry that uh, it lives by projects. So my recommendation will be to understand the pipeline, focus on the projects and the sectors in, in which uh, the Mexican companies believe they, they have experience, that they are strong, that they have credentials that they can demonstrate. And the other uh, aspect will be to look for local partners, right? Uh, that This is something that I always say to the Chinese companies when they arrive in Mexico five, 10 years ago, they, even, they, they didn't even have uh, Mexican professionals within their companies, right? And I understand that, of course, you, you need to have go, uh, Chinese officials. Uh, 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 but when they start to, to hire local people, they, they, they saw a change within their success rate. So general recommendations will be that. Understand the, the, the legal framework. Understand the pipeline. Focus on what you believe you're strong. Look for local partners. And of course, and this is not a commercial, but look for local advisors also, right? In Deloitte, we recurrently help a lot of companies to explore new new regions and opportunities. And, and of course, it's going to take time. But the size of the projects and, and, and the type of projects that are going on in, in, in South America or the Andean region or even Central America, uh, some of them are far more interesting than the ones happening in, in Mexico. So you got the knowledge. You just need to take the, the, the jump of faith, right? Sure. And I think it, it really plays in as well to what you were saying previously about how infrastructure is, is really going to be used by a lot of governments to help in the economic recovery in the post-COVID period. We've seen countries like Brazil that have been really plowing ahead, trying to do as many of their tenders as possible, trying not to deviate too much from their timelines. And, you know, in, in places like Colombia, as I said, with the, the, the 5G program, in Chile with their hospital program that they're tendering, you know, there are a lot of opportunities around the continent. You mentioned as well some of the, the political risk. Obviously, there's a very interesting election happening in Peru right now between Keiko Fujimori and Castillo. And I think those kind of situations as well can really, you know, they can really you know, leave a lot of doubt for, for investors depending on who gets into power. But at the same time, as you said, infrastructure really is so important to the country and to economic development. Can you just talk a little bit of, of that philosophy that you have and, and how you see how infrastructure as a philosophy really you know, serves the needs of the people in, in those senses? Yeah, uh, I mean, and just let me give you a comment on Peru because this is, this is an interesting uh, uh, thought that I, I was having a conversation with a, with a local friend in Peru and a, a lot of people or private companies are afraid of Castillo, right? Uh, but he, he told me, you know, Eduardo, uh, remember Ollanta Omala? Uh, he was from, from a left side uh, party, and, and for example, and 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 the, the economic growth that it has uh, 
with Ollanta in Peru was a significant one. It was, was one of the best growing growth periods for Peru, I believe. So once again, sometimes you have to differentiate the political aspect of it and the, and the investment, right? So I will not be afraid even if, if Castillo win because at the end, you need to 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 invest in infrastructure. And I'm gonna link link this comment to to the, to the philosophy that you mentioned. Why do you need to invest in infrastructure? Because it's one of the most uh, um, is one of the investment, the public investment that has the highest rate of social returns. Period. Uh, the lack of services and the lack of infrastructure. It's more. Uh, it makes more damage to the to the lower income families and and the and the and the and and the, and the more the states that that need more the investment than, than than other ones. For example, if you have good roads, uh, the local producers can take their production to the center of consumption because you can put up the put your production in a truck and sell it. But if you don't have access to that transport infrastructure, you will need to sell it at a cheaper price to a, a, a local company that will put all, all of the small producers together. That's a small example. Another example in energy, uh, having sust- uh, reliable and cheap electricity, it helps on one hand to the families, of course, and I'm talking about, for example, uh, energy poverty, that it's a concept that is well spread. There is a, a, a direct uh, correlation between the use of electricity and the income of a family, right? Because you can use it for 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 storage uh, your food to have a, a better uh, performance, but also you can use it to to, to some level of entrepreneurship. Uh, now you can use it for for studying, etc. So having good electricity helps uh, that sector of, of of the country, and also of course it it boosts manufacturing companies and, and other industries that will attract uh, workers that usually will, will not be skilled workers. And also you can apply the same to water. Water, I believe it's a, a, a huge, uh, how would I say, it's something really sad that is going on in, in Latin America because we don't invest in water as much as we need because usually it's not that politically profitable because you cannot open a new pipeline, right? I mean, you you cannot see it. So sometimes the the political, uh, sorry, the politicians doesn't focus on that. But but improving water condition has a direct impact on the health of the population. So I believe that the, the, the governments in Latin America, if they want to give priority to the poor uh, uh, citizens, uh, as they say, they need to invest in good quality infrastructure and in good quality services because they will help them more than other uh, other sectors, right? That's just the social part. And of course, the financial part, you are going to generate uh, uh, new jobs during the construction, also during the, the operation. And as I mentioned to you, the 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 return on the infrastructure investment could be around four times, right? So it makes sense to, to do this from a social perspective and from a financial perspective and from a competitiveness perspective. 
And just one final point, I think as well, the the interesting question when you get changes in government, people who come into power like AMLO or potentially Castillo, the question is how favorable they're going to be to the kind of investment structures and mechanisms that developers typically like, such as concessions or public-private partnerships. With that in mind, you know, I think it's it's also interesting to con- you know, to consider the the government finances. Can the government afford to effectively do this infrastructure themselves? Can they build a new airport or a pipeline or a port or, or whatever else they need, a water treatment plant? And how can the private sector best kind of relate the benefits of, of PPPs and concessions to governments that are perhaps reluctant to use those structures? I think that's a very important point to consider as well. Yeah, because, you know, there is this conception sometimes from, from, from some governments that they believe that since the infrastructure investment is such a millionary, uh, uh, I mean, it, it, they are like huge investments. The only ones that are going to be benefiting from that are going to be the investors or the construction companies. But they forgot the daily users, right? And I do believe, in our, in, in, I mean, in, in the spirit of trying to be a little bit critic, that, of course, you, get, you, you can improve the PPP model, and, of course, you can make it more social. And, and leave, let me give you an idea, for example. No? If you're going to have a concession for roads, well, maybe you can do a, a different tariff for local users to pay less. You, you have, uh, we have been doing that, for example, with, with trains and metros. Or another example that has been going on in, in some countries in the Andean region with internet, right? Uh, you can give the concession of, of the spectrum uh, for, for telecommunication companies, but on return, uh, maybe you can ask them to provide free services for, for certain uh, towns or, or cer- certain uh, citizens, right? So you can make a mix among among these things. Uh, Fonatur is trying to to, to do or, or, or to, in, to incorporate it, this social aspect within the, the infrastructure they are building, right? For example, they are planning to to deploy f- uh, optic fiber across the the, the the Mayan train line and and they can they, they want to, to to allow certain capacity uh, to provide uh, free services and this is a great idea because then you put the the private sector to work for your interest right you align the incentives you say listen I'm gonna grant this project to the one company that provides me the more social return or they give me the, the best uh, additional uh, construction for, for local companies or provide or give me more uh, services for free, etc. right? So you can use the model to, to make it more, more uh, to, to, to create a very, uh, um, uh, a bigger social impact, but it's a matter of improvement, not a matter of, of saying no, we are not going to invest in infrastructure and PPPs because it only make the, the rich companies richer, right? Right, indeed. Eduardo, listen, those have been really interesting points you've made, and, and that's been a really fantastic discussion. I think everybody's going to really enjoy this conversation, and, and I'm really delighted that you agreed to come on the show. Thank you so much for, for appearing on Crossroads. No, thank you, Jonathan. And I hope with, with this podcast, a lot of companies in Mexico take the leap to, to the rest of the continent. 
Fingers crossed. We hope to see them in the 5G program and elsewhere in, in Latin America. So that's it from us today, from everyone at Information Crossroads and New York and in Mexico City today. We appreciate your time and attention and we wish you all the best. 